Good morning, this is Valora, and we're going to try to get through two chapters today in our Sunday school because of Bethlehem. And of course, if you're not a member of my Sunday school class, um, you're always welcome to join and um, we're free to listen at any time. Um, so the first chapter is chapter four, Hope for the hol- Holidays. I'm so sorry, my dog is barking. I can't, I don't, I don't know how to make her stop. <laughs> um, so just in regards to that title, it's not holidays this time, it's holidays. Um, so it starts out with the Christmas is a season of interruptions. And of course the dog is interrupting me. Some we enjoy, some we don't. We may enjoy interrupting diets for eggnog, work for a staff party, and bill paying for Christmas cards. But we could do without the Chicago snowstorm that grounds the Atlanta flight, which strands the passengers in Albuquerque. We could do without the midnight phone call from Cousin Bert saying that he and Mary Lou and their kids are going to be in the area for the holidays. Could they park their Winnebago in the driveway for, oh, we promise, no more than 10 days? Interruptions, they come with Christmas. They come with life. Just when you sell the crib, surprise, another child. Just when you're ready to retire, surprise, more tuition. Just when you thought your plans were finalized, surprise, more layoffs, surgery, transfers, or treatments. Interruptions, they can stir fear and anxiety. They steal our sleep and pit pocket our joy. They can cause us to question God, even to turn away from God. You may be facing an interruption in this season of life. What you wanted and what you received did not match, and now you are troubled and anxious, even angry. Does that describe you? It certainly described our family last Christmas. It was the second weekend of Advent season. I spent the day preparing and speaking at a Saturday night church service. By the time I arrived home, it was well into the evening hours. Danaylin was waiting for me in the kitchen. I could tell by her expression that something was wrong. Max, Jenna is pregnant. Her announcement did not match her demeanor. Danaylin should have been waving her arms and hugging me. Grandparents at last. But there was no confetti, just concern. Her eyes were tear-filled. She's in the emergency room. We raced to the hospital. Emergency rooms do not wear Christmas decorations well. A garland does not make an x-ray machine festive. Red and green bulbs cannot shed a happy glow on gurney. I hope I said that right. Um, no matter the song on the intercom, the monitors beep louder than the sleigh bells ring. An ER is still an ER, even at Christmas. And our daughter was in the ER. A nurse led us down the hallway into a room. Jenna was on the bed. She tried to be stoic and succeed, and succeeded succeeded for about 10 seconds. Then she began to cry. She wanted to surprise the family. She wanted to make a big deal out of a Christmas pregnancy. She wanted to have a baby. By the end of the night, we knew that wasn't likely. By the next morning, the doctor assured us it wasn't to be. It had already been a tough season for Jenna and her husband, Brett. His dad had died a month earlier. Their November was gray with sorrow. Now December was going to be even more so. Jenna said her Christmas felt more like a holiday than a holiday. Maybe yours feels the same. More tear than cheer, more yuck than yule. The sight of happy children is a reminder of a vacant crib. The busy social schedule of some only highlights your empty one. Images of family together reinforce your pain of a family apart. In this se- if this season is hard for you, if you're looking forward to December 26th more than December 25th, then I have a story for you to consider. A story of a young girl. As much as she tried to keep a good attitude, it was not easy. She was far from home, miles from her own family, 
in her own bed. She had spent the last five days on crowded roads, and during the winter chill, money was scarce and friends were nowhere near. A warm bed and a hot meal, the prospects were slim. Ask her which was worse, the pain in her heart or the pain in her back, and she had had be sorry, and she'd be hard pressed to make a choice. Her heart ached for her family. She felt estranged from them. Under normal circumstances, they would have been thrilled to learn of their pregnant of her pregnancy, but pregnant before a wedding with her conservative family and her bizarre explanation, and have to tell them and have to tell the man she was to marry that she was carrying a child who wasn't his. It was a miracle she'd still he'd still married her, and another miracle was what she needed that night. She'd envisioned giving birth at home, mom holding one hand and an aunt, an aunt the other, a midwife doting relatives. Joseph and a crowd of neighbors outside the door, perhaps if they could all have experienced the birth of her firstborn together, they would have believed her story. At least that's how I imagine Mary felt. Of course, I could be wrong. Perhaps she fed, perhaps the feed trough in the stable were her idea, but I don't think so. I've yet to meet a mother-to-be who dreams of using a cow stall for a delivery room and a manger for a bassinet. I doubt Mary did either. So when Joseph returned from the inn and asked if she was allergic to sheep, it's it's a safe hunch to say she was she was uh, churned. Sorry, I, I probably didn't say that right either. I'm sorry, guys. This wasn't how she had planned to celebrate the birth, birth of Jesus. Joseph led the donkey down a steep path that ended at the mouth of a cave carved out years b- before by the wind and rain, used, a long, used as long as anyone could remember for a barn. He lowered Mary off the back of the donkey. He looked at her face, fatigued and powdery from the road. She apologized for the for the accommodation. He apologized for the accommodations. She touched she touched his cheek and smiled and entered the grotto. Joseph had built a fire and heated water. Mary cleared a spot on the straw and set about the task of bringing God into the world. With cows as her witnesses and Joseph as her midwife, she did just that. Within moments, the hand of the star, within moments, the hand of the star hanger clutched Mary's finger. The sky, the feet of the Skywalker lay in Joseph's palm. No wonder the angels filled the sky with worship. Any doubt about the Father's love disappeared the night God was wrapped in in a barnyard towels, so the hay wouldn't scratch his back. In that moment, Mary knew it was it was all worth it. The ache in her back, the ache in her heart, they faded away. The question of how, the wonderings of when, they didn't. Linger. The inn had no place for her son. That was all right. He would find a place in people's hearts. She and Joseph were far from home on the night of Jesus' birth. That was that was all right. Jesus was even farther from his. There was no warm bed in which Jesus could sleep. No problem. In spite of chaos, Christ came. Through a scandalous pregnancy, an imposed census, an untimely trip, and an overcrowded inn, God triumphed in Mary's story. And he triumphed in Matthew's genealogy. We don't often mention the lineage of Jesus in context with his birth. Matthew did, however. He opens his gospel with a list of a dozen na- dozens of names. Before he presents the wise men in the star of Bethlehem, he tells us that, that Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah, and his brothers Judah begot Perez and Zerah, Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Matthew um, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The list goes on and on and on for 16 verses. 
Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon. Um, Yawn, let's skip to the nativity story. Who needs to know about Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth? Why does Matthew mention David and Solomon before he mentions Joseph and Mary? He's making a point. Chaos cannot keep Christ out of this world. The Messiah was born not because of his ancestors, but in spite of them. Tamar was abandoned, Ruth was an immigrant, and Rahab was a harlot. David was an adulterer. Solomon was a philanderer. Sorry, I probably said that wrong too. The family tree of Jesus is gnarled and crooked. Some of the kings were bloodthirsty and godless, yet God had promised that Jesus would come and Jesus came. Hence the triumphant conclusion of the genealogy. Jacob was the son. Jacob was the father of Joseph, who married a woman named Mary. It was Mary who gave birth to Jesus, and it was Jesus who is the Savior, the Anointed One. Verse 16. Christ came in spite of sin and scandal. Christ came. In spite of racism and sexism, Christ came. Though the people forgot God, Christ came. In spite of and out of the pandemonium, Christ came. The surprise pregnancy, the sudden census, the long road from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the unpleasant and difficult yet... They resulted in the world's greatest miracle. And Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling, swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Luke 2, 7. Everything before this happened, so this moment would happen. Everything before this happened, so this moment would happen. Was the, was the first Christmas different from what Mary had planned? Yes, but it turned out greater than she could have dreamed. God used the struggles to accomplish his will. Do you need that reminder in your world of, of a, in your world of short nights, hard work, and high stress? Don't you need to know that Jesus holds it all together? You might relate to the jalopy I once saw. The car clattered down a freeway, one door missing, hood dented, needing paint, and the loosely hanging bumper was sticker. And this was a sticker. Honk if anything falls off. For everything, absolutely, for everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. And then he has a he has a quote in this book here. Um, I must have accidentally skipped over it somewhere, uh, but he said, uh, "You cannot face a crisis if you don't face God first. God holds it all together, and He will hold it together for you. Everything inside you and every voice around you says, "Get out, get angry, get drunk, get high." But don't listen to those voices. Voices. You cannot face a crisis if you don't face God first. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 6-7 through 7. Cling to Him. In the ER, when your dreams are falling apart, say to Him, Lord, I need you now. Between the headstones of the cemetery, whisper, Dear Jesus, lift me up. During the, the deposition, when others are grumbling beneath their breath, you may be overheard repeating this prayer, 
God, you are good. I I need help. Encourage me, please. In the prayer journal of King David, we read this, this question. When all that is good falls apart, what can people do? Psalm 11, verse 3. Isn't David's question ours? When all that is good falls apart, what can people do? When terrorists attack, when diseases rage, when families collapse, when churches divide, when all that is good falls apart, what can what good what can good people do? What is the godly response to, to the unexpected mishaps and calamities of life? Curiously, David didn't answer this his question with Curiously, David didn't answer his question with an answer. He answered with a declaration. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his throne. Verse 4. That was from Psalms uh, chapter 11, verse 4. His point is unmistakable. When everything shakes, God remains unshaken. He is in his holy temple. His plan will not be derailed. God is unaffected by our storms. He is undeterred by our problems. Remember the story of Jacob's son, Joseph, in Egypt? Look at him in prison. His brothers sold him. Potiphar's wife turned him in. If ever a world caved in, Joseph's did. Or consider Moses watching flocks in the wilderness. Was this what he intended to do with his life? Hardly. His heart beat with Jewish blood. His passion was to lead the slaves. So why did God have him leading sheep? And Daniel... He was among the brightest and best young men of Israel, the equivalent of a West Point cadet or an Ivy Leaguer. But he and his entire generation were being marched out of Jerusalem into Babylonian captivity. The city was destroyed. The temple was in ruins. Joseph in prison, Moses in the desert, Daniel in chains. These were dark moments. Who could have seen any good in them? Who could have known that Joseph the prisoner was just one promotion from being becoming Joseph the prime minister? Who could who would have thought that God was giving Moses 40 years of wilderness training in the very desert through which he would lead the people? And who could have imagined that Daniel the captive would soon be Daniel the king's counselor? God had made a business of turning tragedy into triumph. He did with Joseph, with Moses and Daniel. And most of all, he did with Jesus on the cross. The innocent one was slaughtered. Heaven's gift was murdered. Mothers wept, evil danced, and the apostles had to wonder, when all that is good falls apart, what do good people do? God answered their question with a declaration, with the rumble of the earth and the rolling of the rock. He reminded them the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his throne in heaven. Psalm eleven four. Is your Christmas a difficult one? Then take heart. God is still in his temple, still on his throne, and he is still in control. And he makes his princes out of prisoners, counselors out of captives, Sundays out of Fridays, and he still brings beauty out of Bethlehem's. He did then for them, and he does does it still for you and me. I think that was a wonderful chapter. I don't think we should go on to the next one. Um, I think there was just so much just so much good reading in this chapter. And I, I think, you know, when we think about our church and, and you look at the world and this book was written, um, let me see when the, I think it was 2016. And I, and, you know, considering the things that have happened just this year, you know, we probably feel like we're in a hole, but 
you know, just, just, you know, this year, how special that we got to see the Bethlehem star. And I, I truly believe that God is, is not, not leaving us. He's not abandoned us. Um, he is still on the throne. And that is such a great reminder from this chapter. Um, I pray that you have a very blessed Sunday and a blessed week. And, um, I'll just close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this Sunday and this chapter, um, hope for the holidays. If there's anyone out there who is having, um, they, you know, that feels like their holiday is a holiday, I just ask that you put your hands on them and you lift them up, Lord, and just give them strength. Um, we just pray that as we go back to church, you keep everyone safe and healthy. And we just ask prayer for our country and our land and just um, any of the unspoken prayer requests that we might have. In your name we pray. Amen.